living to satisfy your own desires. You did not know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. You must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary servants. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was paid by the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in the in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, You must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. Would you just remain standing while um, I pray, and pray along with me, please. Father God, I thank you for the truth of that, um, of your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is the truth that we stand on. Lord, I thank you that we can be a people um, who, as we press into your word, your very image presses into us, Lord. And, And that is only possible because the Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the hearts of the people of God to conform us into the image of the Son of God. And so Lord, I want to pray as we continue to worship you in your word now, that that would be the effect, that as, already, as it has already been prayed, that we would not leave here the same way. We would leave here looking and smelling and tasting more like Jesus Christ to a world that needs to know that there is the God of the universe emptied himself and came here to live and die, to defeat death, to rise again, to win the victory to ascend to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God and he has taken the deed of the earth in his hand it is all yours Lord may our lives be lived like they're completely yours Lord for the glory and the fame of your name Lord we pray these things and all God's people who believe this prayer said Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles. Let me ask you a question as you sit down and grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter. Let me ask you a, a, a fairly simple question. How many of you think it's getting harder to be a Christian in our country, in your life? How many of you think it's getting harder to live? Raise your hand. How many of you see the writing on the wall and go, it's going to get harder in the coming years to become a Christian in this country? Raise your hand. Awesome. Yeah, if, if, you're, if you're not, if your hand wasn't raised, it's probably because you're not paying attention. But here's, the other, here's another question. How many of you know that's a good thing for the gospel? Guys, like that is what we are going to see in 1 Peter. And that's why 1 Peter is such a perfect book for us to be in. Because it was written around 65 A.D., so about 30 years after Christ is raised, so about 30 years after Peter gets saved, and it's only a couple years before he is going to be executed, he and the rest of the apostles, by, besides John, by the way. It is at a time that when being a Christian meant persecution, 
It meant ostracization. It meant like being on the margin of society. You couldn't do business. You couldn't like, like it was really hard to be a Christian 30 years after Christ. Guys, persecution is not something new. They're all over the world. Christians are persecuted. But here's the crazy part. It is in the places that Christians are persecuted that the gospel is going forward the most. Right? Like, that's the truth. It's, it's, this, it's, it's, not, it's not that the gospel goes forward in spite of persecution. Frankly, if you watch, if you see church history and you follow what has happened in our world since Christ rose again, the gospel has gone forward because of persecution. And when it wasn't happening, here's the part we got to understand. Guys, Peter is not in Jerusalem anymore. Do you know why Peter's not in Jerusalem anymore when he writes this letter? Because God caused the Christians in Jerusalem to be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus said, you are going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And the, and the Christians were all huddled up being comfortable. So what did God do? He created an environment of persecution to make them go. Guys, if you can't see the, the similarity to what is going on in our nation, our We'll just, I'll just say it. The church in America got fat, dumb, and happy from about the middle of the, of the 1900s until our current time. Because we just believed that somehow being an American made you a Christian. And guys, the Lord is doing a work in our country to what Brian just was talking about. Like, like we're, the, we're, the, we're the richest country in the world, and yet spiritually we're bankrupt. Right? But God always provides a remnant. And that's what this letter is about. He's saying, he's saying, guys, hang on. That's why we're calling this series Standing Firm as faith-filled, like these faith-filled, hope-filled foreigners. Because we, we, what we realize is we're standing firm not as Americans. We're standing firm as kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. And the kingdom is not the United States. The kingdom is his kingdom. It's what you guys all so beautifully prayed about and we sang about for the last 45 minutes or so. And we have to, like, we have not only just recognized that, we need as Christians to embrace that. Like, we need to press into that. So last week we looked at standing firm in God's great salvation, that salvation is all of Christ. And this week we're going to look at standing firm in God, what, what I, now I'm blanking on my, standing firm, sorry, in God's truth. And, and, the, and the big idea that we're going to look at is, what do we get by standing in God's truth. What do we get? by like We're talking about training in truth. And we're talking about teaching people the truth. And what do we get from that? Like why does that matter? I, I, will, I will tell you that, that, that because it's getting harder and harder to stand for truth. The people who are the most truly committed and equipped. Will be the ones that will have the greatest kingdom impact in our country. And that's why we want our church to be about that. So in this passage that we're looking at which is 1 Peter 13 or 1 verses 13 through 25 we're going to see that what Peter's telling us is that what we're what we get by standing in the truth is this idea of future hope that is bought by his ransom to an living eternal truth that the word of God it's what John read over us in Isaiah it's what Peter quotes at the end of our passage today it's because the word of God the eternal truth will stand forever so we better be living in it and standing in it now that's the point that we're looking at today. Guys, 
I'm just going to pick it up in our first point. So as we look at this question, what do we get from standing in God's truth? Look at chapter 1, verse 13 of 1 Peter. We're going to look at our future hope. Therefore, now because we're talking about training, like how do you, how, and when I say teach God's word, guys, I don't mean like, like as we're training, as we're, we want to be a people trained to teach God's word. That does not necessarily mean from the front of a room to a bunch of people. It doesn't even necessarily mean a D group leader, although those things could be true for you. It could just be, how do I sit down with a brother or sister who may not even know the word of God? He, they may not even know Christ, but how do I teach God's word to them in a way that is true to the truth? So one of the first things, and you've heard this a lot, you're going to keep hearing it because you'll see this word a lot in scripture. When we see the word therefore, we ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? Guys, P Peter is not saying therefore because of what's going on in your life, therefore, because you love Jesus, therefore, he, that's not what this therefore is there for. Whenever you see the word therefore, it's because of, he's saying, because of what I just said to you. So what he's saying is, therefore, in light of what you've already read, so let me just review really quick what we, what we saw. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, you are elect exiles. This is not your home. He says, he says you are you are. You are Chosen by God, but you are foreigners in this kingdom. Look at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit. He's saying this is all of God. Oh, by the way, just to double down on the point, in verse 3 we saw that he has caused, he is God, has caused you to be born again. He's saying it was all God in your salvation. But here's the big thing, and we're going to come back to this at the end, Lord willing. To a living hope, a current present hope, even as you are being persecuted, but at the same time are looking forward to the future hope, you're living in a living hope, a current hope. All of that, this, you're elect exiles through the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit, you are born again by Him to a living hope. Peter's saying, in light of all of that gospel truth, therefore, now, what does that look like? What do we do? He says, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. We talked a little bit about sober-mindedness, but guys, basically preparing your mind for action is what we're talking about in training. He's saying, train your brain to know and live and be able to proclaim God's truth with your very life. So he's, he's, trying to, he's telling us, guys, get serious about your faith. Know what you believe. Guys, understand this, and we've talked a lot about this. We've talked a lot about this over the years at Cornerstone. Christianity is not a mental religion. Like it's not. In other words, you're not saved because you know a lot of truth, right? It's not like mental assent, mental belief in what in what the Bible says does not get you saved. The Holy Spirit coming upon you and your submission to him by the truth is what gets you saved. But we also have to know that Christianity, although it is not just a mind, it's not a mind religion, it's not less than that. Like, like this, like we, like, guys, our, our faith is not in some obscure thing that we hope is true. So it's not, it's, so Christianity is not just intellectual, but it is intellectual and more than that. So we don't want to neglect the, the mental part. Like I think, I think because we get busy and because we're lazy, we can tend to neglect sort of the, well, I don't really need to know. All I really need to know is that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and, and rose again, and, and I'm good. Guys, that's just, that's just the beginning of the gospel. right? That's not 
the gospel. That's not the full gospel. So we, we need to, that's what he's, he's saying, guys, get serious, like more and more, get serious about renewing your mind, preparing your mind for action. Then he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, guys, this is a huge idea in the scripture. This is a, a mat, like this, what, what do I mean? Not just, not, Set your hope fully on the grace of God. It's a living hope. We're going to come back to that. But here, here's the huge, the, the huge idea that Peter's going to talk about a lot because of why he's writing this letter to a people that are saved, that are being persecuted, and, are look, and he's trying to tell them, look forward to your future salvation. He talks, about th- he talks about things like hope, like sanctification, like salvation. He talks about them in, these, in, in all three tenses. Guys, here's the tension we live in. We are in this, what we call, and we talked about it when I taught through Revelation a couple summers ago, we are in this time as Christians of living in the already finished but not yet accomplished. Do you remember where we got that? We talked about how in in John chapter 19, on the cross, what did Jesus say? We saw it on Good Friday. Jesus says, it is finished. All the work is done. Our tendency, understandably so, is to go, so then what's the problem? Like, why am I still struggling? Because at the end of Revelation, what does Jesus say? It is done. We're living between the time of already finished, the the redemption has been paid, but it isn't completely consummated yet. He has not come back to renew and restore everything. So we're in this. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you, let me just keep reading a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll show you like why this is such a big deal. And it's so hard for us to, it's easy for us to understand. It's hard for us to live out. If you keep reading in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So he's saying this, that person, you, you, are, you, have, been, you have become changed. That is a real thing. It happened at a moment in time. For everybody who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. He's like, so, so remember, like, don't go back to that old self. But, verse 15, he says, he, but, but as he who called you, or you could say, but just as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Guys, we read that and we go, man, well, I know, I know my life and I'm not holy. This, Peter is not making the point that you need to live perfectly. In fact, Peter is making just the opposite point. Peter is saying, God is holy. When you came to faith in Christ, you became holy. You are, like, like salvation, you became holy. Our, our family's verse for 2021 is Isaiah 61, 9, and 10. And he says, it says, I will rejoice In the Lord my God, my soul will exalt in his salvation. Why? Because he has clothed me with his salvation. He has covered me with his robes of righteousness. That's Isaiah talking about Jesus 700 years before Jesus came. I, you, if you're in Christ, you are seen as holy. But he says here, he who called you, so that's, that's like the moment you got saved, he says, also be present tense, be holy. Well, where, what is he talking about? He's not saying make your, con- like you have to be perfect. He's saying, he's saying the same thing Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 12 maybe. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because let's take it off of holiness for just a minute. Let's talk about the word save. When, when, like, like saved in this very letter and throughout the scriptures is talked about like in three tenses. You were saved the moment you came to faith in Christ. You are being saved. That's that work out your salvation in the midst. It's what we call sanctification. And then you will be saved. Like, like he's, he's talking here. He's talking about like there's this salvation that is to be revealed. Look at, we read it last week. Look at, um, look at, chapter, look at chapter 1 verse 5. Who by God's power, so these are all those wonderful things we just celebrated, who by God's power you're, are, you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's the point, guys. Here's, here's the big idea, like, like the, the, the huge issue that, that Peter brings out over and over again in this letter. Wait a minute. The salvation to be revealed? I'm already saved. What's left to be revealed? Guys, just like your, the moment you got saved was just the beginning, like because you came to believe that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again for you, that was the beginning of the gospel and the beginning of your salvation. And now God is working through you for his will, like to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The, the rest of our salvation, the fullness of our salvation will be revealed when he comes again. I, I, don't, I don't think you appreciate like, like really whether it's, under, whether it's our hope is we, we placed our hope in, we're trying to live in our hope. We, are, we have a future hope, whether it's our holiness. We became holy when we got saved. We are working on our holiness, just like the writer of Hebrews talks about. And someday we will be made perfectly holy when he comes again. I, I don't think you appreciate like, the struggle in that and the impact it can have on your life. So I have this little demonstration. Evan, um, Evan Griffin, why don't you come up here for me, please? I have this little demonstration that I, that I have thought about. I have no idea if it's going to work or not. But where is Evan? Oh, he's a, he was sitting outside. I'm like, awesome. Evan's not even in here. So, Evan, I have, I have a little gift for you. Have you done anything for me today? Apparently, you had a donut because your face is, like, covered in donut. But that's okay. Um, it's not really. They can't see it. Only I can see it. But, so, have you, done anything, have you done anything for me? Have I asked you to do anything for me today? I don't think, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I haven't, right? So have you, have you done anything to earn something from me today? No. So he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Just, just say the answer. It's okay. But I have something for you, just, just because. So here it is. Can you hold it up for everybody to see? So here it is. Now, do you want it? Are you allowed to eat? You're allowed to eat that stuff? It's chocolate? Yeah, okay. I asked your parents last night just to make sure. I, all I said was, hey, can your kids eat candy? Because I know some of you freaks don't eat candy. But, um, but I wanted, so I wanted to make sure that, that like, this was a freaky family that did eat candy. So, so, here's, so here's the thing. You did nothing to earn that, right? I'm just giving it to you because I love you, right? Here's the thing. I have something way better in store for you. Way better. But in order for you to get it, you have to trust me. Do you trust me? Okay, so you have to do what I ask you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and give all of that away to different people in this room. Really fast. Ready? Go. 
Guys, this is the picture of the difference between, like, he did nothing to earn that, right? It was just a gift given to us. That's what grace is. Charis, the Greek word for, who's sitting in our front row, actually, the Greek word for grace is just a gift. We did nothing to earn it. He didn't, he didn't have, but here's the thing. It's given for a purpose. You are saved on purpose for a purpose, and that is to give it away. The problem we have with God is that when, when he gives us something, and somebody, I think, prayed it. Maybe it was Brian to start our time or somebody else. We, pray, we, we tend to put our fingers around it and hold on to it tightly. Right? That's the opposite of grace. So, so here you go. But in order to receive the abundance beyond measure that God has for us, there you go, buddy. Congratulations. That is all you. You can go sit down. Thank you, Evan. Or you can go back outside, but just don't take that with you because your friends will eat it all. But, um, but in order to receive, guys, God, do, you, do you get the point? Like, like we, our salvation we, or, or our, our holiness or our sanctification, like that we have this idea like that's it. And man, I better hold on to that. I better protect it. I better, and God is saying, no, give it away. He's like, I've got something so much better for you. Like when, when you see how your bag of candy keeps growing, not just here and now, yes, here and now, a living hope. That's the key, remember? Verse, verse 3 of chapter 1. He has called us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't worship a dead Savior. We serve a risen Lord. And as you see your living hope growing and growing, guys, not only is it is it building your bag of candy now, in a sense, the part that will blow our minds is when God pulls the big bag of candy out of the bag when he comes back. And we all go, we are, no mind has seen, no ear, or no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend the magnitude of the bag of candy that God wants to give to us. Right? And and yet, what we do is we take our one little bag and we're like, this is all, this is it. And I think God, we, we, we serve this like zero-sum God. That somehow if he's blessing that church over there, he's not going to bless our church. So we live in, and we do that in our own lives. That's why we live in competition. And we, it, it just, it's craziness. And I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm so worried about my little bag of candy. Man, if I would just think, you know what, someday... In heaven, God is going to pull out this bag that, that is going to blow my mind. Right? But, but we have to live like we believe that. Do you really believe that? Right? That's the question that we need to ask. Guys, here's what I want you to do right now. Look at your table talk question. It's, it's on your connecting points or it will come up on the screen. But, guys, our salvation was when we were saved, is, and will be glorious. Are, are we living now like it's glory, like, like to the extent that it's going to be like the glory that is to come? And if so, why aren't we talking about it more? Remember last week I had you guys kind of talk about like, what, like it's so awkward to talk about Jesus in public. 
Because one, the enemy's convinced us that nobody, oh, you can't say that name. You might talk about God, but you better not say Jesus because people will be offended. That's part of it, absolutely. But we've also bought that lie way too much because, frankly, it's just more comfortable for us because we don't talk about Jesus enough in our own homes. I don't talk about Jesus enough in my own head. So when I get, to, when I get that opportunity with the barista at the coffee shop, I'm like, because uh, it's just not natural to me. So in light of that, the next sort of another opportunity to think through that as you look at your table talk question it says are you excited about your salvation as excited as you should be how would you know it's pretty easy to determine actually how often do you talk about it how often do you share it with others how often do you shout it from the rooftops we talk about things we're excited about things that we care about Stuff we think others should know about. Guys, if there's a restaurant you love, you will tell your friends about it. If you are crazy about your new car, you will tell people about it. If you liked what you made for dinner that night, you're going to post it on social media. (laughs) So why don't we do that with Jesus? Because honestly, if we want to just get right down to it, we're not nearly as excited about him as we think we are. Right, not once, like maybe in here, like once we, I mean, because you just, like, you're, like we were talking about this earlier, just like you, you just are sort of soaking in the spirit, and so you sort of like, you sort of like, like that sponge, you sort of get big again spiritually, like you feel good, and then you get back out there in the world, and it just starts to, it starts to wring you out, and all of a sudden our excitement level dies. The only solution to that is to just keep talking about him more in your own head, with your family with the people, just, just talking about your great salvation. So here's what you're going to do. And I am, unlike last week, going to make you turn to your neighbor and do this. So think of one simple thing you're excited about in your salvation and share it. One, just one simple thing. It could be something I've already said. It could be something, just one simple thing. Turn to somebody sitting next to you and just say it in a sentence. Go. Okay, so I'm not going to have you share, but, I, but, but here's... here's as, we, as I sort of wrap up this first point, we move on to the, the last two points, which go a little quicker. Um, here's, here's the thing. We talk about things we're excited about, right? Do we really see Jesus as better? Guys, if, if, our, if, if, if we really believed everything we, sang, we just sang about, everything we've prayed about today, if we really believed in, in the amazing grace that is being stored up for us, that would flow back down to us and we would live like it today. That's the bot- that our problem is a perspective problem. Guys, if, if we really believe it, why would we not believe that his grace is sufficient for us today? That his power is perfected in my weakness today? Why would we not believe 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says this momentary light affliction is producing in you a greater glory far beyond all comparison? Because we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying we don't look around at all the stuff that's wrong. We look at the things that are unseen. Our eyes are looking up and going, here's what's in store. Because the things that are, this is all going away. All of it gone. There's only two things in this room that are going to last, right? The souls of the people sitting next to you and the word of God you have in your lap. That's it. Those are the only eternal things. 
All the rest of it's gone. But, but this momentary light affliction, you say, wait a minute, I've been suffering with something for a long time. We have a sweet sister at home right now who's doing radiation treatment for cancer. I guarantee you that this momentary light affliction does not feel very momentary and does not feel very light. And right now I'm going to pray for her. Father, I just pray for Shannon. I know she wants to be here. I pray that you would, um, I thank you that we live in a country that allows us to have amazing medical care. I pray that you would heal her physically as you have already done so spiritually. But I also pray that she would just see this momentary light affliction as for, for what it really is, an eternal, like forever, like a lot of moments, glory in her life. And that we would learn from that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, do, like momentary light affliction, the reason he says, he's not making light of our plight. Guys, he was crucified, church history, our tradition says upside down because he didn't want to die like his Savior. He understood momentary light affliction that was not momentary nor light. He's saying in light of eternity, in light of moments that last forever, even if your whole life is suffering, this life, he's like, it's a dot on a line that will last forever. And man, but when your dot stinks, it is really hard to hang on to that truth. That's part of why we need the, the family of God, right? So, so do we really believe that we live by faith and not by sight? Right? We, we all want to believe 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that the mo, you know, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, the old has passed. Man, hallelujah, I don't have to deal with all that sin issue anymore. I'm going to live and walk in victory. And then, you're, and then you're, you run into that wall spiritually, and you're like, what just happened? It's because we skipped chapter, verse 7 of that chapter and jumped right to verse 17. He's saying you, you, live by, you walk by faith and not by sight. Right? The, the reality is the same faith that saved you is the faith that is sanctifying you. You were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It's a mystery. I don't understand how it all works, but we need to embrace all three of them in our lives. David, we're reading about in the Psalms and in our D group readings, and, and um, Jeff and Alex were sharing a little bit about Saul, who was the king before David. David writes in, our, in, in the passage that was our family's verse last year was Psalm 1611. It was, yeah, Psalm 1611. And he talks about how um, in Psalm 1611 he says, um, why am I just now blanking on it? I had it this morning. What? Yeah, so at the end of the psalm, I was trying to think of how the psalm starts, but I can't remember right now for some reason. But at the end, at the end of the psalm it says that in your presence... There is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are treasures forever. David was going through some hard times when he wrote that psalm. He wasn't king. He was living in a cave. What was he thinking about? He was thinking about, you know what? In your presence, there and then and here and now is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are treasures forever. He's like, I know my current condition stinks, God, but I'm going to keep holding on to your presence here and now, even as I keep looking up, right? John Piper has a quote that I thought was kind of applicable for where we are as a church. I stumbled upon it in my study for this, and so it says this, for far too many of us live today as if today we're not leading to eternity. 
We live out our stories as if someone had not already told us how it will end. How our earthly lives will end. How our nations and governments will end. How the earth itself will end. God is coming to judge and no one will escape his gavel. He will either be judged in Christ or, and welcomed into paradise or be judged apart from Christ and cast into the lake of fire. If you want to cultivate sober-mindedness, a heart fixed on the things that are real, today, spend less time, not no time, but spend less time engulfed in the tasks and worries of today and more time thinking about what the, that awful and glorious day to come is going to look like. Guys, perspective matters. It just does. And we have to, have, we have to be a people who have a, an eternal perspective. So what do we get by standing in truth? We get this idea of future hope, even in the midst of our present struggles, right? By his ransom. So take a look at our next point, by his ransom. He says this in verse 17. It says, and if you call on the Father. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. I want to show you something. Again, not because you're going to be teaching, like a, preaching a sermon. Maybe someday you will. We were just praying on the way over here. Fifteen years ago, I never thought I'd be a pastor. So you don't know what God's plan for you is, even if you're old. Like, I'm just telling you. It's God's, God doesn't always let you in on everything. Um, why is my second point starting here? It's because of that little word, and. It's a conjunction. Right? As, as I read this, and I'm, looking, and I'm looking at this, remember, we started with therefore. Therefore, in light of the first part of the chapter, here's what you need to do. Now he's starting to change his thought. So as, as Peter is connecting everything he's written in the first part of the chapter to what, okay, now how does this look? Like, where did this come from? He's saying, and if... He's in the light of everything you just heard me say, now look at this truth. So he's saying, and if you call on the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So there's that idea of exile again. I want to just quickly address, this, I'm, I'm, this is not a message on the fear of the Lord, but I do want to address this idea of fear. It's, this is a hard one for us to understand, mostly because most of us didn't have fathers that were, that were good at showing us what it looks like, and, and I'm not sure my three daughters do either, frankly, what it looks like to have a healthy sense of like, like awe of God, because they couldn't have a healthy sense of their dad. And so if you're sitting here going, yeah, for me, fearing my dad meant my dad had a temper or my dad, like it's hard for you to understand, it's hard for me to understand that, it's hard for you to understand that if that's your background with a father. What he's saying ultimately is we need to have a holy reverence for God. We need to have an, part of our struggle, honestly, even with everything I just talked about in our first point and that future look, is we've lost the awe of God. We start, and guys, I'm not, we don't need to pray certain words. You pray what you got, right? You pray what the Lord gives you, but you pray it from an, that's, I, will, I will challenge you with this. Pray it from an attitude of reverence to God. So he's saying, if you call God your father, that God that is holy, that God who has made you holy, you should be in awe of him, right? You should be like, wow, okay. It's not, I'm afraid that he's going to... Guys, you, if, if, if you're afraid he's going to punish you, then you don't believe the cross. 
fulfilled the punishment. There is no more punishment. God does not punish you. Yes, he disciplines. Yes, he directs. He does not punish. How do I know? Because he punished his son once for all. So it is not about being afraid of God like that. It is about having a sense of, wow, I am in the presence of a holy being. So we probably shouldn't start our prayers with like stuff like, hey, big daddy. No, really. Right? That, that again, I'm not all, I, you, don't, you do not need to have certain kinds of words when you pray. But you do want to come in prayer like you are in the audience of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is worthy of your reverence, of my reverence. So what he's saying is, hey guys, if, 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 you, if you believe in this God who is holy, who has made you holy, and you call him Father, then you should conduct yourselves with like a seriousness about your faith. Then look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. First of all, I just want to put that word knowing is in the perfect tense. It means that I, that you know, like you know that you know that you know. There's no unknowing. There's no, you just, you know that you are, you were ransomed. It's like, it, it has changed your thinking. And then he says, not with perishable things like silver and gold. In other words, the price was not paid by stuff in this world that's going to burn, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Guys, he's saying, if if you, if you believe in a holy God, do you believe he has already done by his son what he needed to do to make you holy? And do you understand what it cost him to do it? And we're going to come back to that when we take communion today. So I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these verses. But guys, what, what that ought to motivate us to is to say, okay, am I ready to live sacrificially? Because Christ lived sacrificially. So, what's this, the big idea we're talking about today? The idea is, are we, what do we get by standing in God's truth? One, we get this, we get this, the, the future hope that was paid by his ransom for eternal truth. For eternal truth. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. He says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Guys, that word purified is another perfect tense verb in there. He's saying, having purified. Here's why that matters. He's, here, he's because it's in the perfect tense, and, the, and the, it's, he's talking about when you got saved. He's not saying, are you living purely now? He's saying, you were purified when you were saved. How were you saved? By the love of God. So he's saying, because you have been made pure by a God in heaven who loves you through Christ, love each other earnestly. And then he says in verse 22, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Wait a minute. We were born again. How? How are we born again? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing 
by the word of Christ. Right, guys, this is where the power is. Right, that's why I love like when you know, we're reading scripture as we're praying, and we're, because this is where the power is. He says so right here. You were born again by the living and abiding word of Christ. Guys, the word of God, and I know if you've been at Cornerstone very long, you understand that this is a huge thing for us. But guys, it, it's been a huge thing for the church for a long time. But the church has not always stood on the word of God. And part of our problem in, the, in our country today, in the church in America today, is that we have stopped standing on the word of God as a church. Guys, what we see happening in our country right now through things like um, same-sex marriage and what those... Guys, understand that that all flows from decisions the church made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s about things like no-fault divorce. Guys, we want to wring our hands at the culture, but we got to look right at... we got to look at ourselves. we got to look internally. we got to say, what has the church do, done to the Word of God, and how do we get back... To standing on the word of God. And that's always been true. But the, but, the, but the key is, and this is what we're seeing in our country, where I, I started with, our, with the question at the beginning, how many of you think it's going to get harder to be a Christian in America? It has always been hard to stand for the truth of God. Always. Guys, the Reformation. Remember Martin Luther, 1517, so about, about 500 years ago, he nails his 95 Thesis to the door, but he wasn't the only reformer. Men like Calvin, men like Zwingli, like these are guys, you know what, the, you know what they were fighting, here's what they were fighting for. They were not fighting against the Catholic Church, they were, they were fighting for the word of God. Right, when, when the Catholic Church calls Luther in, he says, I'm standing on the word and I can do nothing else. He's like, tell me, you can tell me what you want to tell me to do. I can't because the word tells me differently. And here's the problem. After, you know, a few years later, about 40 years later, as, as the Reformation is moving forward, th these men were so caught up in, like, man, the truth of God's word is where the power is. They started translating the word back into a language that the average person could speak because they wanted them to have the power too. The church wasn't really excited about that because they wanted people to live by what the church said they were supposed to do. So they started killing them. Guys, God's word has always gone forward through martyrs. Always. So, in 1555, about 40-something, 40, 40 this is just one example of, of literally thousands of examples of people who died for the truth. In 1555, when um, Queen Mary became the queen, she was only queen for five years. In that five years, she was known for one thing, and that was for, that was for persecuting Christians. She killed over, she had over 300 Christians burned at the stake in three of her five years as queen. That's where we get the phrase Bloody Mary. It's not a drink. She was Bloody Mary. Two of these guys were William Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And they had been, a, here, was their, here was their crime. I'm going to teach and translate the word of God. So he brings, so she has them brought and tied to a stake. They pray together. Right? They know what's about to come. They're not the first people being killed. They know what they knew what was coming when they were in prison. They start praying together. And Ridley looks at his friend or says to his friend um, Latimer, and he says this: He says, Be of good heart, brother, for God will either ease the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. 
But here was the problem. As they piled up that wood, the wood on Latimer's side was dry. So it caught fire quickly, which was going to kill him quickly. The wood that was on Ridley's side was green, and it starts smoldering. So he's going to die a slow and painful death. And so he starts to cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I cannot burn. And Latimer, who's behind him, he says to him, and this is the, sort of the famous quote of his, he says, Be of good courage, Master Ridley, and play the man. He's like, We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as, trust, as I trust it shall never be put out. And they did. It's because the word of God went forward. The Anglican church was started based on the word of God. It's what we know as the Church of England today. Now, it may have wandered. I don't know where they're at today. So I, I'm just telling you that it, two things. The Word of God is where the power is, and for you to stand on it is going to cost you. Are we ready to pay the price? Because we believe God is in control. Because we believe that by His foreknowledge, He planned Christ on a cross. He orchestrated that. He orchestrated these guys dying for his word. Why? So that his church, his real church, his remnant church would have the truth. Are you ready to stand for the truth? That's the question that we have to constantly ask ourselves. I'll finish up with these last two verses. It says, For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Guys, men like Ridley and men like Latimer fell. His, God's word, did not. Right? And this word is the gospel, which, or the good news, it's the word gospel there, which I preach to you. Guys, all that, all he says, he says it's what we need to be a people who are proclaiming, who are teaching, who are training. The truth of God's word. So as I wrap it up and the music team comes up and the, and the communion team comes up to get ready to serve communion, guys, I want to ask you, what, how much of your life is proclaiming the truth of the gospel? And if it's not, could it be because you're afraid of being ridiculed? As I mentioned last week, like we, talk, we think we're being persecuted in America as Christians. We're not. Not yet. We're having our preferences pressed on us, like pressed. But we're not being persecuted yet. And if we're already folding, like many churches have, man, my hope, my trust, is that Jesus Christ will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth of your truth. I thank you um, that it is countercultural. That to stand for you and to stand with you is to look and act differently than a culture that doesn't know you. The reality is, Lord, if, if we're never feeling the tension of being a Christian... It's because our lives are not displaying the gospel. So let us be a people that don't avoid the tension. 
And then don't even just acknowledge that there's a tension, but lean into it. Where we go, let, let us be a people that go, you know what, I, I, I want my life to stand for something way bigger than me. And that's your word. I want my life to stand for eternal truth, for eternal glory. Lord, may we remember what it costs you to even make that possible. Lord, speak to us now. As we respond to what, as as your Holy Spirit is wrestling with our spirit. Lord, I, I pray that you would show us the things in our lives that are getting in the way of living ready, of standing firm, of being people of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.